0: Hi, everybody. My name is Pastor John Alexander, and I'm here with Carol Davis. Uh, We both are on staff here at Liberty Church of the River Words. Thank you so much for joining us. What's turned out to be a second episode of this conversation about uh, gender roles and ministry in the church. Um, The last episode, we kind of nerded out for an hour on, uh, well, some really important passages of scripture that both egalitarians, if you don't know that definition, you got to go back and complementarians both honor as the words of God and wrestle over um, and are very, very important in terms of arriving at where we are in terms of, um, uh, well, whether the office of pastor according to scripture is open only to men or to both men and women. So really encourage you to go back and listen to the nuance of that conversation. I learned some things I think it's clear that I learned some things, Um, and even though we both, we can both tell, have gone over these texts again and again and again, some more than others, I'll be honest. Uh, Some of them I've gone over more than others. But this is the more personal episode, and um, hopefully the texts are practical, but definitely this is gonna be at least as practical, probably more practical uh, in terms of what we talk about in this episode about what we're doing as a church, your questions and our humble beginnings of answers and a little bit of each of our stories. So um, why don't we dive into this episode, Carol, uh, sharing how we've been impacted by both sides um, and if we have changed our position recently or at any point in our past since we began this journey of studying, of roles of men and women in ministry, how we've changed our our minds. So would you be willing to go first about your journey of how you've maybe changed your mind and how you got to where you are today and not just what your position is, but how you hold it?
1: Well, I hope that you can uh, tell that I hold it loosely um, in light of that first illustration story that I gave about my seminary experience. Now I expected to graduate from seminary and and really nail down the role of women completely. Um that well, you did was,
0: graduate from seminary.
1: I did. Gra- when I graduated from seminary, I expected to have that nailed down.
0: Oh, oh, okay. As okay. though oh, it oh. could
1: be nailed down.
0: Oh, as though it did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that was way- that was to settle so the issue
0: once and for all and, and for never all, have to look back.
1: And never have to look back. Right. And that was 1988. <laughs> So, you know, but that particular uh, encounter with those particular professors helped me realize that that was a naive goal. Hmm. And so then I was open to, uh, you know, some mm-hmm. shifting that could happen, Okay. you know, in, in my own, you know, growing understanding of scripture and life experience. So um, I graduated from seminary when I was 30, and I am now 64. So I have had a lot of experiences, you know, since then. And, and what I want to say about some of the shifting that's happened, first I want to say is um, one of the benefits that I have had as a woman in ministry is incredible opportunities, incredible opportunities to use my my gifts in counseling. So I had uh, counseling gifts that were affirmed um, through my experience in seminary and then the opportunity to hone those skills, counseling in church context and counseling in parachurch context. So I had that wonderful opportunity. And so I was serving under men that I would say would be mostly complementarian men who, for the most part, uh, really wanted to give me opportunities to grow in my gifts and to use my gifts. And so I had that, that wonderful opportunity mm-hmm. in the context. And these the contexts where I worked in were not exclusively the PCA. But um, mostly the church work that I did was was all in, in, in you know, in a, in a PCA context with uh, pastors that would absolutely see themselves as complementarian then, and maybe still today, too. I'm pretty sure still today. I won't speak entirely for them because I don't know all their journeys. I'm not connected to them. But anyway... So that being said, I had many wonderful opportunities mm. to use my gifts as a woman in ministry in a complementarian setting mm. for which I am incredibly thankful. I am incredibly thankful. And, and how I felt that uh, affirmation of my gifting and my ministry came, came um, in in light of Um, Explaining a little bit of my shifting, but also why I would still consider I'm still a complementarian, because I felt that um, sort of protective, guarding, covering nature of that those that those particular bodies, both the church and the parachurches, um, you know, organization that I work with. But particularly the churches that I, that I worked at. I felt that sort of covering. And so that, when I think about that, is the guarding and guiding work of of the elders and and the pastors. And so I experienced that in a usually positive fashion. Hmm. So um, but where the sort of shifting has happened for me is has been uh, two twofold. Um, I, um, I, I I no longer see the order of creation that, that the complementarians appeal to as so binding as I, as I once did. Okay. I sort of wonder about that order of creation and even one of the, the comments I said using an egalitarian's uh, thoughts about that. It's a sequencing thing. It's not necessarily pointing to the leadership per se, you know, in, in that. So that, so there's there's been a bit of, there's been a bit of a, a, a shifting uh, for, for me there. But where there hasn't been a shifting, that's where I, when we were talking about that Corinthians 11 passage, that I think tilts toward, you know, an egalitarian view. But what, when you said it's pointing to something important about creation And the thing that I can't get beyond is it's important to something important about creation, which is man and women created in the image of God. And so the, the the glory of men and women is that they're created in the image of God. And so maleness has something to do with the image of God, and femaleness has something to do with the image of God. And so uh, the if, if we uh, don't allow for those important distinctions of male and femaleness, then we're reducing something about the image of God. And so that's, that's why I hold oh. on to the complementarian. And so you seem to be alluding to that too as something that you're holding on to in maybe a different way than I hold on to. So,
0: so you're saying um, something about the Genesis 1 and 2 accounts is less important to you than it once was, or, or, or maybe less compelling in terms of the, the order being, order of
1: creation, being a leadership order,
0: being a leadership order, but you do still go back to Genesis two, um, to look at the uniqueness of male and female that shouldn't be flattened in terms of identity of function within say worship, uh, uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be flattened out because it, what what minimizes the glory of god p- it, p- potentially
1: yeah it minimizes you know, the glory okay. of god so that's why i would i would hold on to these distinctions now do i hold them hold on to them in sort of that higher high you know the hierarchy in that sort of hierarchy way yeah. that's where that's where the anatomical image of of, oh, of the head yeah. helps me because when I think about the brain and the head, you know, it, it, it orders all the functions of the body and gives source to that. So I so I like that anatomical in, image and, you know, but it, it doesn't necessarily, it has a prominence, but it doesn't necessarily have, point to a hierarchy in the same way. And so that's, that's where some of the shifting, the shifting has, has happened, has happened for me.
0: Well, helpful to hear i i do in looking back at genesis 1 and 2 i do see this you know it's one passage we didn't get get to that that really it's not about office roles of the church because it's in the old testament but proverbs 31 proverbs 31 is this ode to the glory of woman as you well know and um one of the, you know, it's a, like a lot of passages in the Old Testament, it's uh, it's a song, but it's also a chiasm. So like, uh, it, it kind of uh, starts and ends in the same place uh, or with echoes of, of the, the, the the end point ends with echoes at the starting point. And it kind of like all narrows down to this middle point. And so it's all about this glory of a woman, um, um, her, uh, her relationship to her family, her community, her spiritual life, all these wonderful things, her industriousness, even. Um, this remarkably edifying picture of woman. Um, and it But at the, at, the, at the midpoint of the chiasm is her relationship to uh, the man in her life, her husband. And his location is really significant. He's at the gate. And there's this sense, it, it really does feel like in some ways an echo of Genesis 2, where if man is the head of the home, then the woman is the heart. I mean, the whole song's about woman. You don't have a song like that in Proverbs about it you just don't. I mean, so she's like, she's, she truly is the glory of men. Like, oh my goodness, can you even conceive of anything so wonderful? No, you can't. You can't. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but, and he's kind of like in this out front place, kind of like keeping watch. And she is in this strong, flourishing, industrious, relational, uh, place of strength, like of like, so I do actually see more than ever that there is a little bit of an, I mean, speaking humbly, Carol, because obviously there's, such wise people who disagree with me but i just keep it just keeps giving that there is maybe it's not the ordered thing so much as there is this emphasis and maybe we're actually pretty close on this but there is this there is this uh, principle that seems like it's being played out like the um of roles mm-hmm. in the home and of course we're talking about the church today sure but um Paul's often making connections between church and home.
1: And that's you know, another big passage that we yeah, talk about. That's pieces. right.
0: We didn't get but into But I it. I thought, 5, I yeah. thought
1: since but, it was more related to the uh, the uh, in the home that maybe that would be it is more, it's, yeah. It's about, but but but, but it it's it's the church Christ in the church and the mystery it ends with that. So it's not on more not unconceivable that we could get to it, but.
0: so I, I guess I say that to say that's one place where like my my convictions about like we are not identical, right. um, in immaterial ways no. as well as material ways. Yes. Um, in ways that are really important and display the glory of God. And to minimize these things is to at least reduce a little of the glory of God. And I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Sure. I really don't want to do that. The way that I have come closer to the egalitarian position, though, um, is not a little bit. It, yeah. it, it, it's fairly, It's been fairly significant for me, and it's in the area of teaching. And so you're you're looking at you know a a, a pastor in the PCA, um, and so a complementary denomination, um, and I think I'm I think I'm in good standing, <laughs> um, uh, with with the PCA, um, I am, um, but this principle of not just having no women pastors, but not having any women in the pulpit on Sundays, I I think is um, I think is a little bit of an overstep. I think I think it's more than a little bit. I think it's an overstep. Uh, going back to First Timothy two, I I do see that phrase as linked as the authoritative teaching of the church that's being discussed, and I do think Paul is protecting like for men in the church to like really oversee the authoritative teaching. But Paul knows about Priscilla. <laughs> Paul knows about the prophetesses of uh, Israel and the New Covenant. All lists
1: all these women in leadership. Oh my goodness, Philippians 4. We
0: we often go to all these people. I was just reading Philippians 4. It says, uh, Euodia and Sentiki, these women who he instructs to agree in the Lord, it says, they are my fellow workers together with Clement and all those whose names are written in the book of life. You can just imagine Paul, Clement, this Euodia and Sentiki, is just this team that are my fellow workers. These are my fellows. This man and these two women are my fellows. And we are doing the work of the gospel together. And he also talks about certain gender norms. So in trying to bring it all in, it, it does seem awkward to me to say, there are these women who are forth telling the glory of God and the old covenant and the new. You got the Priscilla's, you got the fellow workers with Paul. And yeah, he is talking about headship in the home and in the worship service. But meanwhile, you, you there's this, there is some kind of silence That no one thinks, really, is absolute. Women praying, prophesying in the worship space. But once you get behind the pulpit, some people see the pulpit as the place of authoritative teaching, and that actually makes sense. But if you're clear to the congregation, like we're frankly, I'm trying to be as clear as I know how on Sundays right now. If that's clear, and part of the clarity of biblical teaching is that women have teaching gifts, I personally think there's a value, including on Sundays, having women do more teaching. Now, that, that being said, I'm probably more in line with what, what the PCA teaches generally about women in office. But I just think under the authority of the elders, we, rec- we are compelled by God to recognize the gifts in our midst and to, and to elevate them more biblically appropriate. And I frankly just think that we could be doing more of that if the PCA would allow but I'm, I am serving in submission to them right now. And on the whole, I think on issues of uh, gender roles in ministry, uh, in the PCA, I think on the whole, um, the letter of what they're trying to do, I mostly align, mostly align. But that, in a lot of it's talking to egalitarians and seeing all these places where women with word gifts are, are, are in the scriptures. So um, while holding that the office of elder, I do believe is for men. That's one place where I've just been coming back against this issue of teaching. And that's, that's place that I, I, I find the position that women should be teaching one church compelling. Even while I don't believe the ordained office of pastor or elder, according to scripture, I just don't, I just don't see right now how the apostles saw that as for, as for women. So that's how, that's where I am right now. And I just, I feel like I need probably just to be a little bit more honest about that while also being by saying like, I'm, I really am trying to happily submit to our denomination on this at the same time. So, um, I don't know if you have any response to that or well,
1: well um, that, um, that, I mean, I think that that's the, the reality of the tension. Yeah. And I think if we are not, um, honest about a place of tension yeah and so that, that that place of tension is where christ can meet us that place of tension is where we can build community that place of tension in, you know is a very important place to be and so that place of tension for me is different than that place of tension for you yeah. But, but I think it's a, such an important and honoring place. And I think everybody in our midst have, has different places of tension. And I think the denomination as a whole has different places of tension. Yeah. And if we're more honest in communication about these places of tension, then I think that we can move forward in the peace and purity of, you know, of our unity in Christ in a way that can be much more powerful than it is. And so, um, I honor you with that place of tension, and especially, you know, with that. What you're saying is going to put you in a place of tension to say that publicly, in a in a in a way that I don't have to necessarily. Yeah. Be concerned about. So so I, I feel that place of tension for you.
0: you know? And it's it's something that like I I just see more and more um, though what does that do? It sends you back. It sends you back to talk to your other brothers and sisters. It's like, what am I missing? Show me again. Sure. But, um, yeah, I, I also do do really love the ways that I've been anchored by the mm-hmm. PCA sure. in some key ways and, uh, value that. Sure. So, um,
1: yeah. can I just say one more thing? Please. Yeah. I had the opportunity to hear a ruling elder in the PCA who is African-American say, he wanted to be in the, p- the PCA because this is where the battle is, hmm. and I loved him saying that. And he was saying that, of course, in more in the issue of, of justice issues hmm. and, and race relations. And 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 I I can say that I I love to be in the PCA because this, this is where the the battle is in terms of uh, wanting to honor the scriptures and i and i have loved encountering egalitarian uh egalitarians that have that same passion for honoring the scriptures and not wanting to dismiss the authority of the scriptures Hmm. and so i so i so when i find somebody like Payne who really is seeking very much to honor the scriptures and 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 others too but you know more recently him but but um I want to be in a place where people want to do that. And so the PCA is a place where people want to do that. Yeah. And so I so I value that. So that speaks a little bit for me personally to that anchoring. And and so that I can, where I disagree and where my ple- places of tension are, um, that, that um, sort of uh, agreeing to disagree posture doesn't, Thwart my opportunities to ministry. Mm. You know, it, 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 it may actually inform them in, in ways that I, I don't even know yet. Mm. Um, so that's.
0: Well, I don't, I've often put it this way to people who are like struggling with the point of theology. It usually happens when they're looking at the Bible more closely or they're looking at other people that they know and respect in the faith more closely and saying, like, I, I don't know how. To go on a journey with Jesus and not change my life and my views of things. And I'll give you one example that I don't see how anybody can possibly deny. Growth. Growth is change. Even if I'm becoming like if I could somehow like make sure that I'm always in my views, growing, growing closer to the views of Jesus Christ, you know, in our multiple interpretations of key passages of scripture, that involves change. That involves adjustment. That involves saying, I'm seeing this in a way that I didn't before. And, and and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, throttling the potential of that happening is dangerous. What else is dangerous is leaving the text, wandering away from the words of God. Absolutely, that's a danger too. There's an mm-hmm. no overcorrection of like, you don't revisit what, you don't revisit stuff. It's like, what?
1: Yeah, I didn't did want to say? have to revisit yeah, stuff yeah. after 1988. Yeah. I wanted it settled.
0: Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to help anybody grow. He yeah. won't go back with a little bit of, a, what do you call it, like a, like a second naivete, and then watch God in community with others, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and me trying to be humble enough to be affected and find out find out what God's doing, find out what I missed. Um, can that be dangerous? Sure. It can also be incredibly sanctifying. Um, and uh, I, I don't know how to not direct people, down, down that road. And, and I tell them what I think. I tell them that I think that's error. <laughs> I think that is the way that God honors. I think, and, and, and you're doing the same when, in your capacity as staff, but, um, yeah, you, you can't not be challenged about some of these issues that you thought were settled on your journey with Christ. They will be challenged. The question is, how do we faithfully look back to them, uh, with the scriptures open and our, and our hearts open to God. So, um, that's how. That's a little bit of our personal journey. Should we jump to some of the Q&A? These people have been so patient.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we, now, I hope uh, that we've please. created a tone and yeah, answered yeah. some of it. So I'm hoping some of these questions so. will will then flow naturally from what we've been saying already.
0: So were you? Um, we, we read that first one, Carol. Yours is right here, I think. Oh, I, right, I, I, I moved it over a little bit a few okay. minutes ago. Okay. Um, do you want to address that second one there okay. um, under the initial one that you already read?
1: So women, women approach issues from a different perspective than men. How do the elders acknowledge and attempt to address their limitation in representing this perspective without women in the room? Hmm.
0: Women approach issues different from a different perspective than men. Yes, they often do that. I mean, so, so in the question is the acknowledgement of some really key differences between men and women. Um, how do the elders acknowledge the key differences between men and women? and address their limitations as males, is my reading, mm-hmm. in representing the perspective of women without them in the room? This is a great question. Um, so when you have an elder team made up of men, um, you're obviously leading pastoring the church, um, making decisions that will impact women. And so while doing this because we believe that it is that it is a faithful teaching of the Bible, Um, that's why we have male male elders, but in order to honor the, the women of our church, there needs to be a closeness and there needs to be a trust. And that trust isn't all that it could have been. I do believe it's growing. Um, so, uh, most of our elders meetings are elders slash deacon meetings in different traditions, different reform traditions. They just have the elders and deacons meet together a lot. They call it the consistory. Um, and they kind of deal with the business of the church and talk about a lot of the direction of the church. We've used some of that wisdom in our elders meetings for the past year, uh, past well since since uh, fall twenty twenty one. So this academic year, and um, most of our uh, deacon team, made of deacon and deaconesses, our deaconesses, um, and so there are there are women around the table when we're talking about everything from masking, <laughs> like how are we going to follow the city's protocols in a faithful way. Um, finances, uh, fund drives, um, just direction of the church, you know, um, we're scheduling some leader leaders retreats later in the year. Um, the goal is for that rhythm to be steady with these leaders, both men and women to come together and be addressing the big things in the church. Now that is to say, that's what we do, uh, at least 51% of the time in terms of the stuff that we're discussing there are absolutely key things that we're talking about just as the elders of the church. And that means there aren't women present and, um, there's no getting around trust. Um, we do have, uh, basically that mandate as I see it from God is if we're doing faithful work, it will mean that on the whole, the women of our church are doing well. It doesn't necessarily mean every single woman in our church is doing amazing all the time. But for example, how are the women of our church doing now relative to, say, last year? Are, are we hearing them? Are we helping to bear their burdens? Are we, are we listening and are we, is, is there action that can be seen in response to what they're asking for as we discern together? So part of that is working with the women's ministry team, which I think we'll talk about again. That comes up in a later question of women in our church. You know, aside from the deaconesses on the deacon team, women of our church who help Uh, the elders, uh, really think about the experience of women at Liberty. Um, they obviously do a lot of work that just happened for the women's retreat, um, different ministries for women. And so a lot of phone calls go back and forth between elders and the women ministry team. And, um, it's actually time. We're going to talk about this a little bit later in response to another question to have a quite formal meeting about a few things that are coming down the pike between the women's ministry team and the elder team and the deacons and deaconesses, But my direct answer is um, how do we address our limited perspective as males? It's by letting women inform those decisions. And um, I, I can say frankly, that we're, we're doing a good deal to listen to women's perspectives around that table. Um, we could do more. And I, I mean, hopefully a lot of members from the women's ministry team and, Deaconesses and other staff members will be listening to this video and, and, and you as well, Carol will be offering your suggestions about how we can be doing better and listening more closely to women's perspective. And, um, yeah, we have to, um, anything you would add to that Carol? or should we, um, the, the next, the next question is, um, of uh, It was written in the email prior to this video that, uh, the office of elders is open only to men. We believe that this is a biblical teaching, but also a difficult one. Do you believe that other churches who have women pastors and elders are quote unquote unbiblical? For example, urban worship center, the building where we meet has one, one of their pastors is a woman. And I I suppose, I, I don't know if you would speak to this Carol. I think maybe this goes back to your thought about tone, um, of course, there are Christians who are looking to the same scriptures that they love and want to honor or landing, landing in different places. So both sides are saying biblical. I, I have heard people say, let's not use the adjective biblical because what you mean by biblical, somebody else who's trying to be biblical thinks the Bible says something else. I have actually tried this and it's awkward <laughs> to not be, to not use the adjective biblical, but hopefully saying this is we believe a biblical teaching is not a way of smacking somebody else across the face who has a different position, but saying we're searching the scriptures and this is what we see. Um, so I'm not ready to get rid of that adjective. But of course, I, I think I, I for, for my part, I come back to what is the best version of a complementarian church? I think the best version of a complementarian church would be to work closely with a lot of other churches that have so much else in common other than this one issue. And I mean, I mean, that's what we're doing all the time. So, I mean, I hope I hope the person who asked this question would be really encouraged that a complementarian church would um, would wanna work closely with an egalitarian church. And that uh, I, I think this goes back to the issue of tone. Maybe it goes back to the issue well, of tone. I think, it, I,
1: I think it goes back to the issue of first and second. It's fr- What's a, a first order issue and a second order issue? Yeah, okay. in, in in terms of you know where we're going to land and what we're going to major on, so I would see I would see though not all egalitarians would see it this way. Um, i just want to say this. I would see this as a second order issue, and I think that complementarians some complementarians would too. I don't know if all complementarians would see it as a second order issue. But, but some egalitarians see it as a as a first order issue meaning because of the new creation this cannot be and so they would say that of course um, women pastors and elders you know right you know but right. but because I see it as a second order issue I I, I wouldn't be using the, you know I, I wouldn't be going after it in the same kind of way to make up a pronouncement on somebody else's who is exploring the scriptures conclusion that aren't, I'm not, I'm not making, it's not my place to make a judgment. I don't think on their conscience. I'm not going to bind their conscience about their, um, where they've landed on issues that I consider second order issues. And
0: you can see where they're coming from.
1: Yeah, and I can see where
0: they're coming from. And and so I I think a lot of the time, I think our congregants could expect uh, us, Uh, to work closely with other churches on either side of this issue, that that talk to one another like this. Like I can say, I've, I've talked to Pastor, Jose, I mean I've talked to Pastor Deb frequently too, but I have talked to Pastor Jose about this particular issue, and there's there does not seem to be hard feelings, and it's not like we skirted the issue. I mean, um, hopefully we can keep doing things together for a long time. Could there be points of tension? I, I yeah, there could be, and I think it, it falls to us to really try to not let it swarm over and cancel out the the vast majority of things that we're entirely unified on. So, um, I hope that honors the question. Um, But I would not attack, attack an egalitarian church for being unbiblical, even though of course the two churches would mutually agree that there's a misreading on this point. I would not think that we would be attacked by a well-meaning egalitarian church. A, the that's the
1: agreement to disagree yeah. on certain points, suppose, yeah. especially again, second order yeah. issues that we've been in Second order issues. Yeah.
0: Um, so um, okay, so this there's there are a lot of questions. Please, you can speak to this too, Carol. Um, that go to the contextual. Let's call it um, to use a metaphor that a lot of biblical scholars use. That there's like this cultural husk around the Apostle Paul's teaching, and if we could only pull off the husk to get to the kernel of truth, that's all we need to do. So um, in Corinth, when we're talking about head coverings, you know, we don't do head coverings here, so of course we, of course we want to get past all the cultural stuff he's saying to find out what the what the truth is that we need to get at. Um, in First Timothy, there's the temple of Artemis that we talked about in the last episode. So you, you got to take all that husk about women priestess who are overly authoritative in Ephesus and figure out what Paul's saying in that context to get to the kernel of what he's talking about. If, if I'm making my point clear, like how do you get past culture to get to the kernel of truth? I, I don't know if, if you have any initial thought about this, Carol, uh, but um, I'd, I'd be happy to defer to you. You did speak to this a little bit in the last episode.
1: Well, if if we're looking, are we looking at question four?
0: Yeah, I am. I am speaking about this.
1: Yeah. So let's read. Let's read question four. Yeah. If we take all of Paul's teaching as prescriptive, such as adorn not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls, or learning quietness and full submission, I do, I do not teach or assume authority over man. She must be quiet. Why do we have? Why do we have female liturgists? Praise leaders or home group leading, uh, yeah. home group meeting leaders.
0: Yeah, that that is probably the one. Yeah, that's the one we said we were going to address. There are a lot of other questions that I don't know if we can answer all of them. There's there's uh, well over a dozen, and and like I, a, a lot of them go to those cultural issues. How do we get through the cultural issue to find out how to apply it? If there's certain things we wouldn't take on, like telling everybody in the church that you got to cover your heads, ladies, or you're, or you're not allowed or something like
1: that um well i i think you addressed this actually earlier with with the idea of um the authoritative teaching
0: yeah in part yes
1: so so i think that uh you know the 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 female liturgist is not doing authoritative teaching the praise leaders are not doing authoritative teaching the the home group meeting leaders are not not necessarily doing authoritative teaching yeah, you know, so in, so I think that's how that we, we, you know, you would say, answer that. I, I think yeah. you answered it, but I, I don't know. I can't, I'm not thinking of anything else.
0: Well, what? yeah, I, I think I'd say a few things. Yeah. Liturgists, praise leaders, home meeting leaders, um, the position, I think of the PCA, uh, our own is more nuanced, which I described a, f- a few minutes ago, but is, Uh, The office of elder, the office of elder and, and the authoritative teaching that accompanies that office is reserved for men, according to the PCA. Um, uh, Again, in scripture, you have women praying, you have women prophesying, you have women doing different types of teaching that aren't necessarily in the gathered assembly. I shared a little bit of my own opinion where I think biblically there should be a little bit more flex there in the worship service, at least a little. Um, But... We see these things as biblical and and frankly, there's no mandate from our denomination. So we're both under the covering of a, of a, of a denomination. That's trying to sift all this stuff biblically, all the biblical data that we have. We talked about it a little bit in the last episode and that's how we land as we do. But to speak to the, to speak to the issue of culture, like we don't have women cover their heads and Paul does say in Corinth, you should first century, why don't you go ahead and cover your heads for a number of reasons? There does seem to be something that almost all, I mean, I know a lot of egalitarians agree as well as complementarians. He seems to be saying, behave appropriately as men, if you're a man, and as women, if you're a woman, in the gathered worship setting. And in that context, that fits. So there's some total legitimacy to what this questioner is asking. I wanna honor that. I mean, uh, it gets tough sometimes. Um, That being said, I think there's an idea out there that some of the Bible's cultural and some of it's eternal. And we got to shake off the cultural stuff to find out what's eternal. The problem is all of the Bible's cultural and all of the Bible's eternal. And so um, it has to be done with great care in a lot of conversation. And I think some of the stuff we landed on, I was, I was even trying to be really gentle with the First Corinthians passages, 14 and 11. Because there's a lot that is, and First Timothy too, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty. Like nobody denies there's some, we, there's some we're, we're swimming a little bit here. But there are some things that both sides are saying, these things are most clear, so here's where we stand. I don't want to undo the messiness and hopefully the questioner like acknowledges that we really are trying to take in the full weight of the biblical data. Um, but in the case of uh, head coverings, um, the, the vast majority of commentators agree on both sides of the pastoral issues. Paul's really concerned about gender and worshiping community. Even people who think women should be pastors, they're saying, really act like females in the worship setting, really act like males. How do you figure that out? Guidance of the Holy Spirit, contextual theology, um, other parts of scripture interpreting it, but there, there really certainly is a male and female interacting together principle, um, that that's valued. But I want to honor the fact that that's just a difficult passage. That is a difficult thing that the vast majority of commentators have said. That's not that's not something we need to do today, but the heart behind it of um, really be who you were created to be here of all places. Like, acknowledge that and offer it back to God rather than trying to shake off something that uh, is glorious about yourself and speaks to his glory. So, um, do you want to take the next one, Carol? I think uh, we're, we're on the next page now.
1: And so, are, are we are we looking to yeah, um, the, the, with, a with the discovery yeah. in a <clears throat> churches where sexual abuse was overlooked or covered up? Can the elders, deacons, women's and men's ministry leaders please take a training on domestic abuse and intimate partner violence? These trainings often talk about power and control dynamics, financial abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, and sexual abuse. So, I think that's um, actually more of a rather than a question in terms of uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a plead for, for the leadership in the church to get, to get more informed. And, and um, an honor that question would be to respond by getting more informed through some kind of teaching. And we're going to have that opportunity because the PCA is not unaware that, of this these dynamics that are being talked about. And and they are, they are um, releasing their report that on all these issues, Mm -hmm. and it is going to come out at the General Assembly. And in that report are going to be recommendations for local congregations. They're not um, recommendations that are mandated. They can't Prescribe them, but they—they're mandating, and they're going to give us a lot of resources, you know, on these very issues, and we're going to take them to heart, and uh, you know, look for those ways for the leadership here at Liberty to grow. And then the PCA is really—that's really important to the PCA. And it's interesting. This document and this study, this committee study—they've been on it for a long time. It, 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 it's coming out at a time when we're just hearing about the Southern Baptist stuff. And so of course we're more nervous. And, yeah. and so it's, it's so such great timing that it is coming out and it's coming out very soon. And it's the recommendations are ones that we're absolutely going to heed. Yeah. But I don't know what the recommendations are going to be. I, um, yeah, maybe, you know, a we little, little Well, know. Right I right mean, right it's right. this month, general yeah. assemblies this yeah. month.
0: And, and, and yeah, my understanding of the reports this month, but uh, in terms of what we have been doing, yeah. um, I think the first thing I want to say is, uh, very open to more training. It does seem like time or past time, uh, for the elders and the women's ministry team and the deacon team to kind of get together as soon as that report comes out and sit down with the recommendations and process them and, um, make some communal decisions that would for sure be one of the conversations that we'd want all of those teams around the same table at. So to the questioner. Um, thank you for that charge slash challenge. I think it's a good one. And there's no good reason why we don't do that as soon as that report comes back to us. Uh, in the past, I mean, a lot of, you know, uh, child abuse clearance, uh, kind of processes we've, we've gone through with like children's ministry and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, for example, a, a mandated reporter as a, as a pastor of, of, of suspected child abuse, things like this. So there are certain tr- uh, trainings that we've had, but the specific ones named like, Um, specific trainings on domestic abuse and intimate partner violence and, uh, other kinds of power and control dynamics, financial abuse, et cetera. Um, yeah, we stand to be ongoing learners and, um, I, I, I I don't mind saying on behalf of the elder team, kind of because it's coming down through our denomination. Um, you are right to expect that from us this year for that meeting to happen and for, for you to hear back from that meeting with those teams in response to exactly these things, so thank you. Um, I think the last one today, um, and by the way, bring more, I I think, uh, thank you everyone who brought questions. Feel free also to ask them in person um, at our meeting on June 16th, Thursday, June 16th, which is our congregational meeting. Here's the last one that captured the heart of a few questions related to the women's ministry team. I question what requirements or qualifications women need to have to join the women's ministry team. I can't help but look to Jesus and his disciples. The disciples were very imperfect and sinful people as we all are, but Jesus still called and used them to serve and minister as his right hand men. Um, any responses to that one? Sure.
1: Well, I think it's a it, it's a great question, and I think it's the it's a question that the ministry team has been addressing because that the sort of the qualifications have sort of been um, maybe assumed or talked about yeah. amongst themselves, but a written document hasn't been produced. But but the women's ministry team has been working on a written document, and um, we're we're you know we're we're moving on that, and so this question just speaks to that our need to have that up and ready and, um, you know, available to, you know, all the women of the church.
0: It, it does seem to also speak to like almost how many quali, correct me if I'm wrong. My, my reading is how many qualifications do you really need to be on the women's ministry team because Jesus called imperfect people. And so maybe this speaks to like, why does Jesus call imperfect people? And yet there are a really long list of qualifications for leadership in the New Testament. It's like, it's kind of weird. Like Peter's really imperfect. He calls Levi from a tax collector stand. Um, What's going on? Um, There is a little bit of attention. Um, Christ calls unworthy people to follow him, but you can't come to Christ without being changed by him. And uh, very quickly in the New Testament church, that first century, It seems like very clearly in the pastoral epistles of Paul, he's like, qualifications for ministry are are terribly important. They just are. Um, uh, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, I don't think he says anybody, you be perfect. (laughs) But I think what he's saying is in any position where anyone's in any way kind of following you, If you're implicitly or explicitly saying, follow me a little bit while I follow Jesus, you just have a greater potential to do harm. And uh, uh, there's grace there, but man, there's also an increased capacity to... yeah, get what I'm saying? So, so, so. it's
1: an issue of, response, you know, of, yeah. of the women's ministry team being responsible and the women's right. ministry team. Is and of uh, elders. As and under, elders. The, uh, is, or is under the pastor and the elders. Right. So, so that sense of responsibility flows from the pastor and the elders to the women's team. And so the issue yeah. of responsibility for, for people. And so that's why the women's ministry team has a pattern of um, a woman that has been affirmed in her in her character and and gifting then takes on somebody underneath her to kind of grow her up. And so that's happened in another, a number of opportunities that we've seen that I've seen since my short time here.
0: So, So, and that's, and that's for the women's ministry team, which is a, a little bit of another thing because part of the context of all these conversations is we're taking nominations for elders and deacons and deaconesses and the scriptures are clear about the qualifications for Elder and deacon teams to be on on those teams. Women's ministry team is it just seemed like really wise to do. A number of years back, we just started you know praying about you know, who are the wise and mature women in our church who like we really believe are worthy to be followed. And and I'll take some responsibility for this. Probably sooner should have worked with that team about um, just just discerning. A clear path for women who want to join and were to reach out. Because it was a lot of like reaching out. Would you like to be on the team? Would you like to be on the team? We've been praying about. We think you do a great job. But what if there's a woman who's not approached but would like to be on the team? Mm -hmm. Um, that's a process I really, for for my part, could have done a better job of, but but not to say that it's gone badly, but I do think it's time to kind of like get a
1: protocol. Have some protocols. Just like the the qualifications are now. Written down so people can look at them and engage with them. Yeah. Then the protocol has to be That's written right. down, and and women have to know what that protocol is. Right. And it they needs to be clear, and
0: they yeah. haven't known it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I all I'm saying is I want to take some responsibility for that, mainly myself, um, but also on behalf of the elders and like, um, I think the women's ministry team, frankly, has done a great job and um, has been up and running for a number of years now, and I think been a great blessing on the whole to the women of our church and. Um, this year I do think is a key year for um, working with them to really cultivate future leaders um, and setting expectations for how people can grow and um, and also rise up into leadership um, in formal and informal ways. So um, I think those were all the questions we were gonna get into. Um, thank you all for listening and for contributing and uh, let's let that be enough for now. So God bless you. Uh, Congregational meeting, p.m. on June 16th. It's a Thursday. Come hungry. Childcare is available for the kids. And then we'll dive right into uh, the, the congregational meeting after we eat. God bless you.